Um, and two main issues that crop up time and time again with the whole sort of new atheist movement. One comes back to what we were talking about earlier about scientism and our theory of knowledge. And the other comes back to the new atheist misrepresentation of what faith means. Um, quick description of the new atheism. If you want to boil it down to an equation, it's probably this. Scientism plus materialism plus a moral crusade against religion equals new atheism. So there's a sort of social uh, campaigning sort of moral crusade kind of side to it. Uh, viewing all religion as dangerous for society and individuals and needing to be expunged from the public sphere, etc. Um, <coughs> in terms of worldview, it's a very uh, materialistic, naturalistic worldview. And in terms of their theory of knowledge, uh, that ties in there with a very scientistic, science-focused theory of knowledge. Um, and it's actually that scientific theory of knowledge that leads to their moral crusade. Um, despite the fact that, of course, given their scientism and their materialism, it's very hard for them to actually talk coherently about morality. Because they will say things like, science doesn't deal with ethics, you can't know ethical truths, and you haven't got any free will, so it's not your fault if you do things. And religious people are really naughty for not uh, living up to their moral obligations to be reasonable. You see the problem. Um, so we're talking about guys like uh, Richard Dawkins, Sam Harris, Daniel Dennett, and late Christopher Hitchens, um, and their books like uh, A God Delusion, The God Argument, A Universe of Nothing by Lawrence Krauss, etc., etc. The new atheist, says Gary Wolfe, condemned not just belief in God, but respect for belief in God. If your religion is not only wrong, it's evil. So that moral crusading side of things. And I think these two things are tied together. The fact that they're wrong about scientism leads to them being wrong about faith. <coughs> Victor Stenger, uh, the late Victor Stenger, who was a cosmologist, uh, says critics accuse new atheism of scientism, which is the principle that science is the only means that can be used to learn about the world and humanity. They cannot quote a single new atheist who said that. So he's kind of leery of the, the description. Um, well, here's a number of quotes. Sorry about the small type font. Um, from one author. Uh, and then I'll, I'll read them and then I'll tell you who the author is. But this author says, Faith is belief in the absence of supportive evidence. Science is belief in the presence of supportive evidence. It's very much... Either or, one hand or the other. Science, they say, does not require, nor does it use, any metaphysics, any philosophy. They say reason is just the procedure by which humans ensure that their conclusions are consistent with the theory that produced them and with the data that test those conclusions. And being rational just means that when you talk about some subject, the words you use are well-defined, and the statements you make are self-consistent. So if I were to, to try and fairly sum up this person's view on knowledge, I think it would go something like this. Reason checks the, the coherence of our beliefs to show that they might be true, because incoherent things can't be true. But there either is or isn't supportive evidence 
for a belief. Now, if there is supportive evidence, then that belief is scientific and, and rational. If there isn't supporting evidence, then belief, in that case, is blind faith. Okay? I hope you think that that's a fair summation of those quotes. Those quotes all come from Victor Stenger uh, in his book, The New Atheism, where he says that scientism is the principle that science is the only means that can be used to learn about the world and humanity. So although he rejects the label, it seems to me um, that he fits it very nicely. Um, Alex Rosenberg uh, embraces the term on the other hand. Uh, he says, being scientistic just means treating science as our exclusive guide to reality. We trust science as the only way to acquire knowledge. And he thinks that's a good thing. Well, Peter Atkins uh, says, I stand by my claim that the scientific method is the only means of discovering the nature of reality. And although its current views are open to revision, an important point we had in the, the last talk, uh, the approach, making observations, comparing notes and so on, will forever survive as the only way of acquiring reliable knowledge. According to Richard Dawkins, uh, all beliefs fall into one of two categories. On the one hand, there is what he calls proper evidence-based belief. And he says the only good reason to believe something exists is if there is real evidence that it does. It always comes back to our senses one way or another. And on the other hand, there's the sort of improper methodology of blind faith. He says faith is... Believing in something when there literally isn't a scrap of evidence. If there were a scrap of evidence, it wouldn't be faith. <coughs> now, unfortunately for the new atheists, this um, scientific demand that every uh, rational belief is one that is justified by evidence, can as rational, that's a self-contradictory thing to think. Because the, the claim, a belief is only rational if it's justified by evidence isn't a claim that's justified by any evidence. See, so it doesn't meet its own standard. It can't be justified by evidence, so it's self-contradictory. And indeed, it entails an infinite regress that couldn't be satisfied. If, if I shouldn't believe that something is rational unless I've got some evidence that it's rational, well, then I'd never believe that the evidence that appears to support it really is evidence that I ought to take note of that really does support it. Why should I believe that that evidence is relevant and that it really does lead to that conclusion? Well, I'd only be rational to think that if I had some evidence that showed that that was the case. But then the same thing would apply again and again and again and again and again with no end in sight. So I'd never be rational in believing anything according to that kind of a rule. And indeed, more basically, it's open to obvious counterexamples. So, um, knowing that the law of non-contradiction in logic is true, you know, knowing if I say um, I can't utter any words of the English language, you know, that, that's false. <laughs> it's self-contradictory. Um, contradictory things can't be true. But that law of logic is not something you, you know through scientific methodology. It's just sort of something that's obvious. 
to you. Or moral truths, like we were talking about earlier. You know, it's wrong to torture small children just for fun. Um, science won't get you there. Rainbows are beautiful. I think that's true. I don't think science gets you there. Um, even to believe that there is a real physical world out there, beyond our minds. Um, you think that belief in a physical world is something pretty fundamental to doing science. <laughs> but it's not something that science can justify belief in. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, you cannot produce rational intuition by argument. Because argument depends upon rational intuition. Proof rests upon the unprovable, which just has to be seen. And in Sam Harris, interestingly, talks along the same lines. He says, intuition denotes the most basic part of our faculty of understanding. He says, this is true in matters of ethics. It is no less true in science. The traditional opposition between reason and intuition is a false one. Reason is itself intuitive to the core. Any judgment that a proposition is reasonable or logical relies on intuition to find its feet. Now, if I tell you that um, traditional example of an Aristotelian argument, um, Socrates is immortal, all mortals die. Therefore, Socrates will die. Now, you follow that argument and you see that that conclusion follows from the two statements that went before. Indeed, that it, if the two statements that go before are true, then it must be true that Socrates will die. But what argument can you give me for why I should agree with you about that? Particularly, you couldn't give me any arguments as to why I should agree that didn't rely upon me being able to see that a conclusion follows from a couple of premises. You can't... <laughs> Reason me into reason. You just notice that you're being reasonable. Uh, in the moral landscape, Sam Harris's book, unfortunately subtitled here, um, How Science Can Determine Human Values. I say unfortunately subtitled that because on page 37 of the hardback edition, he explicitly contradicts his main thesis when he says this. Science cannot tell us why, scientifically, we should value well-being. His whole thesis is um, morality is about the, the well-being, the flourishing or the failure to flourish of sentient creatures. Scientific observation can tell us when creatures are flourishing or not. Um, if you don't love your children and feed them and hug them occasionally and things, they turn out abnormal. Um, therefore, loving them is good, you know. Um, but there's, of course, an assumption built, built into that, that, you know, well, why think that the abnormal state is bad? Where did you get that moral judgment from? And here he admits, page 37, we cannot tell us why scientifically we should value well-being. The demand for radical justification levelled by the moral sceptic could not be met by science. So it's, you can't use science to argue against the person who says, no, I'm a moral relativist, I, I, you know. Science is defined, he says, with reference to the goal of understanding the processes at work in the universe. Can we justify this goal scientifically? Of course not. So again, there's something you have to assume is reasonable to do that science can't show you is reasonable. 
what evidence, he says, could prove that we should value evidence? Talking about the link between morality and rationality. Uh, so new atheists aren't wrong about everything all the time. That would be you know, asking too much. So they're wrong about scientism for a number of reasons, and that leads them, I think, to being wrong about faith, because, because they see faith as not fitting within their scientific understanding of knowing things, it's automatically in the, in the being stupid category. Uh, faith is a stance or an attitude of belief independent of and characteristically in the countervailing face of evidence, is A.C. Grayling. Uh, Christopher Hitchens, religion is a surrender of reason in favour of faith. Faith or reason, not faith and reason. Dawkins criticises faith for requiring blind trust in the absence of evidence, even in the teeth of evidence, and so on. Uh, McGrath, this is a bit more a flattering photograph of McGrath. Uh, he says, that idiosyncratic definition of faith is an excellent example of a belief tenaciously held and defended in the absence of evidence, and indeed in the teeth of evidence. The classic Christian tradition has always valued rationality and does not hold that faith involves the complete abandonment of reason or believing in the teeth of at least overwhelming evidence to the contrary. Um, John Lennox, it's lovely on the New Atheist, he says they're characterised by the blind faith that all faith is blind faith. <laughs> when it's the New Atheist concept of faith that is a delusion in the precise sense that they assign to the term. Don't they even consult dictionaries, he asks. Um, let's consult one. Now, look, I've highlighted in red here the fact that one of the definitions of faith in Miriam Webster's Collegiate Dictionary is firm belief in something for which there is no proof. Um, now, even if we are generous about the meaning of the word proof and just lower that from the field of mathematics and logic down to reason to believe it or good evidence or something like this even then that would still only be one sub definition it's not very high up the list of definitions here Um, the higher up definitions talk in more uh, ancient terms of uh, allegiance duty to a person, loyalty um, fidelity um, belief and trust particularly in, in God or the tenets of a religion and so on it's almost as if the new atheists haven't come across verses like 1 Peter 3.15. They think that would be an anathema to a religious person, to be told by the religious book to, to think in that way. Um, David Marshall and Timothy McGree put it well. This is a really good book, um, True Reason Confronting the Irrationality of the New Atheism. They say, by faith we mean trusting, holding to, and acting on what one has a good reason to believe is true in the face of difficulties. Sam Harris will uh, misread a verse like Hebrews 11.1 1 in order to back up his redefinition of faith. So he'll, he'll say, um, okay, Hebrews 11.1, 1, you religious folks, defines faith. Is that what it's doing? As the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. There you go. It's all about having blind faith, isn't it? Read in the right way, he says, this passage seems to render faith entirely self-justifying. There's no justification. (coughs) But if you have a read through the preceding verses in Hebrews 10, 32 to 36, you'll see what's going on there about continuing to believe on the basis of the justification for that belief that you had 
in becoming a Christian, despite the fact that you're being persecuted in the here and now, and you don't see the present fulfilment of God's promise of heaven, which is what you're hoping for. Of course you don't see heaven yet in the world now whilst you're being persecuted and torn apart by lions or whatever. I don't think they quite got to that stage, but they were being persecuted. Um, because of, you note in the middle there, because you knew that you yourselves have better and lasting possessions than the ones you've had to give up in the world because of your persecution. So don't throw away your confidence, your trust. So your confidence in the hope of heaven and Christ is based upon what you knew. And in that context, he then goes on to say, 11.1. So it's the fulfilment of the divine promises of Hebrews 10.36. Receive what he has promised to us. That Hebrews 11.1 has in mind. It says, having faith in God means trusting him to deliver on his promise of heaven. Faith is being sure of what we hope for without needing to personally see the fulfilment of that promise in the present time of suffering and certain of what we do not yet see is the implication. So Hebrews 11.1 does not say or imply that faith means trusting God in the absence of any reason to trust him. It says quite the reverse. Because you knew. And it's interesting, look just at three of the Greek terms used in that verse. Now, faith, pistis, is the assurance, hypostasis, of things hoped for, the conviction, elechos, of things not seen. The Greek, in Greek mythology, it's pistis, is the spirit of trust, honesty, and good faith, who escapes from Pandora's box when she... Don't open the box. Oh, can't resist the temptation. Opens the box. And Pistis flies free, abandoning mankind. Uh, now, the Roman name of Pistis uh, is Fide, from which we get the word faith. That's the mythological roots of the, the term here. And in Greek, Pistis means to be persuaded. Conviction of the truth. Confidence. Belief. Or trust. Doesn't mean... Blind faith. The Greek word hypostasis, or assurance, commonly appears in ancient business documents. It conveys the idea of a covenant. It's about an exchange of assurances guaranteeing the future transfer of possessions. So, let's draw up a contract. If you give me uh, uh, three uh, denarii, I will give you two chickens. You know, whatever it might be. (laughs) <laughs> okay, yeah, sign, sign, yeah, here's my mark, right. I'll deliver them next Tuesday, you know. And the Greek word alekos, translated as conviction here, conveys the idea of bringing forth evidence that demonstrates something to be true. Indeed, interestingly enough, it particularly refers to bringing forth evidence for the truth of something that appears on the surface of things to be contradictory to what is the case. Demonstrating something that's contrary to what appears superficially to be the case by evidence that overwhelms that impression. So you could translate this verse of Sam Harris Vaughan's. Now, having a warranted trust is the title deed, the contract, of your heavenly hope. The possession of 
present appearances overturning evidence of heaven. Nothing there about having blind faith. Um, Hebrews 11.1 speaks of the scope of faith extending beyond present visible evidence, transient circumstances, resting upon prior evidence that things will indeed be better in the future, says Peter Grace. Harris and other new atheists also misuse the story of doubting Thomas from John 20 as uh, demonstrating, quote, that ignorance is the true coinage of this religious realm. Quote, blessed are those who have not seen and have believed. See, it's all about having blind faith, according to Jesus himself. Grayling again. Um, he says, uh, blind faith is to be accounted a theological virtue, precisely because it, it's about a commitment without evidence or against it, as the New Testament story of doubting Thomas is designed to illustrate. Do not take your biblical hermeneutics from new atheist authors, folks. Um, of course, in John's Gospel, Jesus himself, earlier on, affirms evidence-based belief. And John 14, 11, believe on the evidence of the miracles. Before the resurrected Jesus, note, offered himself for empirical examination to Thomas, Thomas was not asked to believe without evidence. For although, quote, Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came, nevertheless, quote, that the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. So he's got ten of his mates who he's hung around with for the last three years. I think your ten best friends from university, all telling you something. No, we swear, we saw him. He was here. The tomb was empty. Blah, blah, blah. No, no, I don't, I'm not going to believe you. No. So Jesus commends people who believe without demanding to see for themselves the reality of the resurrected Jesus. You know, I haven't seen the resurrected Jesus. But that doesn't mean that I think I believe on him on the basis of absolutely no good reason to do so. Um, I've got the testimony of the apostles recorded in scripture and so on. The historical uh, evidence. So he's uh, commending people who believe without making that sort of demand that I will only believe if I see the resurrected Jesus myself. Not those who believe without evidence. And indeed, John, of course, is portraying here in this story all of the other disciples as believing. Why? Because they have blind faith and thus are better than Thomas? No, because they had first-hand experience of meeting the resurrected Jesus and they went, whoa! And changed their worldview because of it. Um, the evidence initially given to Thomas was perhaps we could say better than the evidence available to believers and non-believers alike since the ascension of Christ. I mean, he could go down the road and have a look in the empty tomb if he wanted to. We didn't even know which tomb it is now, and so on. So John's reason, indeed, explicitly told us at the end of the Gospel for recounting the story of Doubting Thomas and, and the other stories in the Gospel is that it provides evidence for the truth of Christian understanding of Jesus. He says, uh, John 20, verses 30 to 31, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So the author of John's Gospel himself says, I'm giving testimony to these things so that you have a basis for believing in Jesus. And then the new atheists warp a story from John's Gospel to mean 
exactly the opposite of what the author of John's Gospel has told us that he's doing. Uh, incredible. So as C.S. Lewis said, to end with a quote from Lewis, faith is the art of holding on to things your reason has once accepted in spite of your changing moods. It's not faith versus reason, it's faith and reason versus, as Lewis said, the temptation to lust or boredom or whatever. <laughs> there we go. Okay. <laughs> Good, thanks very mm. much, Peter. I really appreciate that. Um, okay, little couple of things on pack down. So we need a, a jack. I need a couple of people to help in the kitchen, please.